to both of you. How are you? Yeah, too bad. So this is number 115. I've done 114 before talking to, please answer your name, Steve Shipman. Hello. And Andy Halliwell. Hello. Now, you both sound like you're from the Northwest. So how are we going to distinguish between the two? Is it if you're watching in black and white, Steve's in the yellow? <laughs> I, I, I'm probably better spoken than I am. Much more well-spoken than I am. I'm a bit, I'm a bit, I'm a bit too mank. <laughs> Isn't that to be desirable? Wasn't 25 years ago, wasn't everything mank good? Yeah, uh, there, it was, was, there, there was a time, wasn't there, in the, in the early 90s when everyone wanted to be from there for various reasons, yeah. Although uh, my, my accent's probably not, not as strong as it used to be because I've lived in London for 21 years. Oh, it, yeah, it is noticeable now. What brought you down here? Uh, work, originally. Um, a, a job offer, and then, I, and then I stuck at it, and then I ended up meeting and, and marrying a southerner who wouldn't return to the north with me. So I'm stuck in. <laughs> no, I'm I'm half northern. Mum is uh, from Hull, and Dad is from Stanmore. So I'm. Oh right, yeah. And then I lived in Scotland oh, yeah. for five years. So if I want to claim Scotch, then I suppose I can. Um, but my uncle Daryl, who was born in Hull, married a girl from Altrincham. Uh, from Manchester. Oh, yeah. So, yeah. which means... The posh that, end. Well, yes, the very posh end, the Jewish end. And so my cousins are half Mancunian, half Yorkshire, and half North London. So they're three halves. Uh, one of whom, by the way, I've just remembered, 18 tomorrow. I don't know if either of you has children. I do, but not that old. No, 18. And I remember Georgia when she was dot. And now at 18... Thinking about university, she I think she has heard of Oldham Athletic because her grandpa Jeffrey, I will work this background. Her grandpa Jeffrey um, is the longest continual season ticket holder at Old Trafford. My right. who who's been going for had been going seventy five years back towards the pre Busby days, uh, and I'm positive, wow. more than positive, that he was at Wembley in nineteen ninety and nineteen ninety four. Where was the semi-final in 94? 94 was at Wembley. Yeah. Was at Wembley, yeah. The 1990 semi-finals were at Main Road. Ah. Were the 94 semi-finals there because they didn't want a repeat of the Hillsborough disaster? No. I think, I think it, the, 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 history, the history for that was um, in 91, uh, Arsenal played Spurs in the FA Cup semi-final yes. because they couldn't, couldn't find a, a suitable neutral ground in London. And they, they had the semi-final at Wembley. And that really was the precursor, wasn't it, to teams uh, playing there. And then, then the second one that came after that was both Sheffield clubs made the 93 FA Cup semi-final, Sheffield Wednesday, Sheffield United. And again, instead of playing it at Leeds, they decided to play at Wembley because the two Sheffield clubs could, could fill it. And then that was it. All semi-finals then switched to Wembley from that point oh. because we played the year after we were there as well. That's untrue only because in 1999 I went up to Old Trafford to watch Spurs against Newcastle. So they did. They must that, have reversed it when Wembley was being knocked down. But yeah, maybe then. Yeah, for that period. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Is it true that Mark Hughes is responsible? Well, yeah. I mean, ultimately, it is true to say from that moment, from the moment that Mark Hughes equalised in the 120th minute, Fergie time. Uh, our fortunes um, have been on nothing but a downward spiral from that point. I mean, I guess prior to, I could have done, could have done my research here to give you the exact numbers, but I, I, I'll have to go off memory. 
uh, in the lead up to that FA Cup semi-final at Wembley, we were in the Premier League, obviously. Uh, we were out of the bottom three, so not in the relegation zone, probably at fifth and bottom. We had about three games in hand and everyone around us. And we'd lost one in eight in that lead-in. I think that one we'd lost in eight was to United away at Old Trafford in the league. We lost 3-2, so it was a close game. But at that stage, we were, we were on good run. We were, we were staying up, no problem. FA Cup run had, had done us proud. And then Mark Hughes equalised. And there were about, for the sake of argument, another eight, nine games left of the season. We didn't win a single game and got relegated on the last day. Yeah. And then from that day forward, we've suffered three more relegations, well, three relegations in total. When we sit now in the bottom division. No, it's wretched, and I I don't suppose you care. But Jameson has scored to make it one nil to Oldham Athletic at Boundary Park, playing I'm, Exeter City. I'm just saying that come through. Yeah, excellent. Your your emotions? None. Uh, happy. There's probably bigger things in play, I reckon, than just beating Exeter in a end of season dead rubber. To be honest. Well, it moves you, Unfortunately. If, as things stand, you're bunched up with a whole host of teams who are pretty much safe. I think uh, as this goes out in the middle of April, we'll know whether Grimsby and Southend have uh, escaped. But among the teams, and I'm just going to rattle them off and then I'll tell you my question, which is, Car- let's go for argument's sake, uh, Salford a ninth with 51, then Crawley, then Carlisle, then Lake Norient, then Harrogate Town, then Bradford City, then Stevenage, then Scunthorpe United, then Mansfield Town, then Oldham Athletic, then Port Vale, Colchester, Walsall and Barrow. Are Oldham Athletic the worst run club in the middle of League Two? And I will direct that to Mr Shipman. I mean, if, if we're not, then I, I, I really would love to know and also equally feel sorry for who is, who is uh, worse run than we are. I can't see. So I'm going I'm to go with yes. I think so. Andy, would you agree? We are definitely the worst-run club. We're the worst-run club in the whole country, in my, in my opinion. You know, what we just talk, talked about from 94 semi-final to the present day, we sit as a number one of 92 professional football league and, and Premier League clubs. We've gone the longest period of time without ever achieving anything. Achieving being defined by winning a trophy or, or a promotion. 1991 is the last time we achieved anything. Uh, we're number one. Number two are Everton, won the FA Cup in 95. Number three are Ipswich, who last got promoted in 99. Mm. So we're, we're way out in front. And, and we, we've been badly run for 20 years, but our current circumstances are utterly horrendous. Well, and those current circumstances are where we'll begin, and then we'll work backwards to 1915, um, when you both saw... <laughs> I, I mean, I, no, actually, I'll start with that. Are there people who, whom you know who are either grandchildren or sons of people who watched Oldham come second to Everton in the first division, 1915. Don't know, but Steve, your relative is an athletics player, right? Yeah, my granddad, uh, Tom Shipman, uh, played for Oldham in the uh, late 30s and then into the war years uh, when it was wartime football. So he played, uh, yeah, he played... Not that wartime football carried in the same way, but he was ever-present for about four years, I think. And was he on the, um, was he on the pitch time. against some of the big guys? Uh, yeah, he was. Um, he actually before he signed for Oldham, he actually he actually played for Blackpool. Oh. Uh, he played in the same team as uh, Stanley Matthews. Stanley Matthews was my dad's godfather. You're kidding? Um, wow. No, no, no. Uh, so it's yeah, a bit of a claim, bit of a claim to fame. Absolutely. And he was going to sign for he was going to sign for Burnley. He, he went to have chat uh, to have talk to Burnley. Um, and the chairman of Burnley at the time uh, wouldn't actually let my granddad's 
wife into the boardroom. She says, I'm not signing for you. And he went to sign for Oldham. And, uh, and that was that. Jeez, that's a hell of an anecdote. I spoke to John Henderson, who wrote the posthumous biography of Stanley Matthews. Uh, and I've also read Stan's memoir. Did your grandpa play with... Who's the chap who scored the most goals for Oldham? Where's, where's his name gone? Well, there's, there was a gentleman called Eric Gemmel, who was uh, our leading scorer for decades until it was broken yeah. in the 90s. And was that the 30s and 40s era? That was probably slightly later, wasn't it? Was slightly it? later, wasn't it? Yeah, 50s. I think maybe. it was maybe 50s, yeah. Yeah, 50s, 60s, probably. Yeah. No, I, hadn't, I haven't got that stat down, annoyingly. And yet... there, was, there, was, there was a player called Tom Davis I think, who scored thirty odd goals in two consecutive seasons back in the early days. But yeah, he was in the same he was in the same team as uh, as my granddad. Yeah. Where did your granddad play, by the way? Which position? He was left back. Number three. He was a, a, an, an ill-tempered left back. I think he got sent off eight or nine times in his career, which I imagine going back to the thirties, thirties and forties, was probably quite a, quite a mean feat. Yeah, well, how did you get sent off in the nineteenth? Did he maim people? <laughs> I do recall at one point he um, he got sent off playing against Wolves. I think, as the story goes, and uh, there was a striker that played for striker that played for Wolves at the time. He was an international striker. I can't remember who it was, but uh, he ended up getting into a fight and, and chasing him into the stand, oh. uh, and he got sent off for that. Yes, that <laughs> does sound like serious. I'm a lot more mild mannered. <laughs> no, that's very good. Although you are putting these genes to good use. Pushthebeboundary.co.uk is an independent movement to, and there's a hashtag, because there was always a hashtag, Reclaim the Faith. It was launched about 18 months ago, at the very end of October 2019. Did you do it on purpose, Halloween 2019? Not knowingly, but uh, the timing timing was quite apt, yeah. (laughs) Um, Although you, you do strive, I should say, to be peaceful and professional and to reclaim the faith. At what point did the faith start disappearing because it can't have been 2018 or was it no no it was it was definitely disappearing before that it's hard to say what the turning point was really i think the thing probably started to i mean we went into, administ- into administration in 2004 did we lose the faith and i don't i'm not sure we did we lose the faith at that point i think it was probably it's probably over the last 10 years or so what would you say andy uh, yeah, it's, it's a death by a thousand cuts, as, as I explained before. We've gone the longest period of time without achieving anything, and um, every new dawn brings new hope. And I guess we have become so tired, never having anything to look forward to, that uh, you know, it, it, an amalgam, an amalgam of all those things over a long period of time have, have sort of caught up with us. To give you an idea, we have not finished in the top half of any division we competed in since two thousand and nine. Oh my god. <laughs> Wow. Why do you keep doing this to yourself? There's so many other things to do, like support Man U. Yeah, yeah it's, 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 uh, as we've uh, seen, I've said it, just to be an old athletic fan, you, you've, got to be, you've got to be seriously committed because there's not a lot of joy in it. There hasn't been a lot of joy in it for a long time. So losing the faith has been a long, protracted uh, exercise. You know, if, if, if I give you a, a, that potted history, 94 Mark Hughes, 97, three years later, we get relegated from what is now the championship new money into the third tier. We then spend 21 consecutive seasons in the third tier before dropping into the fourth tier three three years ago. And so that that sort of constant battle, really, just to survive, is, is how we felt for 20-odd years. And during that time, 
So when we dropped out of the Premier League, really just before the Premier League really started to explode with money, yeah. um, you know, the early years you weren't that rich from being in the Premier League. The parachute payments and all that sort of stuff today that would make you a different prospect we didn't have. So we dropped out of the Premier League, and then uh, some funding, some owners, you know, there was there was a, a local brewery had some funding. They pulled that money out. That helped, and then we got relegated. Then we had then we sold our stadium to fund ourselves to our council. Then an owner bought the club who ultimately ended up serving time in prison for malpractice, business practices. He pulled his funding. We went into administration. Three North London gentlemen based in the United States bought us. You can call them Jewish. Uh, call them Jewish if you want. Three. Yeah, well, they are, well, they are, they are Jewish, but that, 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 that's kind of irrelevant to, to me. It doesn't... It doesn't no, I only say that because whenever someone refers to David Baddiel as the North London comedian, we know what they mean. But as Simon Corney, Shoma Shabbos. Simon Corney keeps the Sabbath, is what I read. I don't know if that's news to you about the North London. Well, I live in West London and have done for 20 years, so I'm, I'm quite familiar with the sort of uh, local uh, geopolitics. Or, uh, yes, geopolitics. <laughs> So, so I know, I know, I know North London is, is heavily Jewish, a bit like a bit like parts of Manchester yeah, are heavily yeah, Jewish. Yeah, yeah. Hills heavily Jewish and mm-hmm. places like that. Yeah. And so, so obviously these three Jewish gentlemen bought the club. Uh, two of them still own the land, and one of the stands, whereas we're now owned by a North African gentleman, former agent, yes. former football agent who lives in Dubai. Well there, well, there should be hope, and as as I'm sure you'll agree, we're not going to mention his name or his brother's name, uh, but uh, we are going to mention David Wheater, who left the club uh, not last week, the week before. This is because he was frozen out. This is a top pro, and he should really have been helping out. Uh, why did David Wheater leave the club? Was it because Kewell had gone? Uh, the t- uh, we don't really know, but with the timing of it, I think I think the part's been sort of movements to try and get him to leave the club before that um, you know to trying to come to a deal over 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 a payment to you know get him to go and, yeah. and to sort of settle his outstanding wages and and that eventually got done just after Q left which at the timing I'm not sure if the timings of any you know if, if there's any coincidence there or not to be honest but I think I think to be honest it was just good to finally get it resolved one way or the other because it, it had dragged on for so long and Clearly, it's not good for a player of that uh, that help to to have to train with the youths, you know. And it's just it's just a shame that his memory of playing for us is going to be tainted by such a terrible experience. You know, the guys played football for professional football for nigh on sixteen, seventeen years, and that's and we we saw fit to treat him in that way, which is an outrage. And something that isn't a coincidence is that identity FS have withdrawn the support and I listened to one of the Boundary Park Alert System podcasts that you've both been on. He said two things which were very interesting. One, Identity FS being connected with Oldham Athletic is not good for the Identity FS brand. And two, they were given to believe that Harry Kewell was going to be the one to get Oldham back into League One but was not given enough time. Uh, Is that fair on the owner I, I guess I guess we don't know what personal conversations have occurred between the owner and and, and any individual sponsor before committing monies to a particular campaign. But personally, I find it very hard to believe that there was any chance that any manager, 
under our present owner would last more than only a few months because the there is a weight of evidence <laughs> that demonstrates exactly what our owner does do. Uh, so I, I wouldn't have believed it, no. Mm. And um, for those who haven't been following the story, uh, the chaps took over in 2018. And one of the things they've been accused of, and I don't know if there's evidence to support this, is that the lineups have come in and the owner has said, no, 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 play him. And he's effectively created a divided dressing room where the new guys have come in and mixed with the old guys. So just looking at this lineup now, which is a 3-4-3 formation, Walker, Jameson, Piagiani, Baden, Fage, Callum Whelan, more shortly, McCalment, Adams, Hilsner, McElhaney and Kayla Dunn. How many were there before 2018? None. 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 Well, that's that's not probably not many before this season as well. (laughs) Mm. Yeah, Uh, and on the bench we should say Cameron Borthwick Jackson. Where did it go so wrong for Board Jack? Has he been injured? Uh, He has been injured this season. Uh, Yeah, Uh, and I think he struggled to he struggled to get himself back in the side. He seems to be favouring for Dan, which is a bit curious because I I think Borthwick Jackson's definitely a a better player than for Dan. But yeah, he he seems to have uh, he seems to be edging him out at the moment for some reason. It is 1-0 at half-time. So Oldham favourites at home, but Exeter are a very, very reliable side. Do you look at some of these teams in League 2? Obviously, Salford have got so much money they should be in the Championship. But Newport, Solidity, Exeter, Solidity, Forest Green. Have you been over to Forest Green? I have. I've made that journey once. Never again. Ah, well, it's up a very <laughs> steep hill, I was told. You have to walk up a hill. I mean, you might as well, you might as well just take a ball into a farmer's field and just kick it about for an hour. And, uh, and That's sort of what it off. is. It's, it's literally in the middle of nowhere. It's, it's a village uh, some, somewhere just outside of Stroud. Mm-hmm. Well, <laughs> pleasant. it looks like you'll be lucky because as we speak, Forest Green are one of four or six who are most likely to go up. I've spoken to... Supporters of Cheltenham. Oh, Max Rushton will be very happy. Have you seen Max Rushton up in Cambridge? No. Uh, perversely, Max Rushton plays football at, at a football uh, ground near me called Polytechnic in Chiswick. So I've actually um, seen him a few times. Um, mm. Spoke to him once. Um, so, yeah, I, I know he's a Cambridge fan. He's also a Spurs fan, though, isn't he? Which I always find curious when you support two teams. Well, I, someone said to me the other day, don't you support Spurs? I said, no, Spurs are my North London team. Because I do have, I do have four teams, but I can I can see Vicarage Road from my flat. So I'm a Watford fan first and foremost. How is Callum Whelan doing? He's wearing number eight, so he's obviously a first teamer. Um, it came through at Man U, so obviously knows the area quite well. Um, but he was playing every week for the under twenty threes. But for some reason, the Potsos don't like promoting from youth. So out he goes to League Two. How long will you keep hold of Callum Whelan? By the time this goes out. Maybe another six weeks. <laughs> <laughs> oh boy, you you have to laugh or else you cry. How well? It's, it, so I was just going to say, it's not. I don't think it's, it's not set the world alight. Although to be fair, against Bradford at the weekend, he um, he did have a really good game. I'll be honest, he he was really energetic, good in possession. He worked well alongside McCallman in in midfield. Um, so maybe with a manager in, Keith Curl, who's going to come in and maybe put a little bit, pay a little bit more attention to what goes on in the, the centre of the park, 
he might he might flourish. But I think as it stands at the moment, he's probably. Um, I don't think anybody's been that impressed by him. Oh dear. Well, they were impressed with Danny Rowe. Didn't Danny Rowe go to Bradford? He did. Uh, he did. He did. Indeed. Yeah. How did he play in the weekend, or didn't you watch it? He was quiet. He was really quiet. I thought um, Paul Piergiani did a really good job on him. To be honest, he just outmuscled him, which I guess for someone like Danny Rowe, it's always got the potential to happen. He's not. He's not the. He's not that sort of player. Um, I think he probably wants the ball into feet. He wants to be able to sort of find some space and, and bring other players into the game. But it wasn't really the game for him, really. But um, it was a shame to lose him because he, you know, on his day, he was, he was an exciting. Exciting player to watch. Yeah, and I'm sure a lot of exciting players have come through. In, um, momentarily, we'll talk about your best 11 or your combined best 11. Uh, is there anyone to get excited about this season? Or is what's going on on the pitch and off the pitch marrying together? We've, had a, we've got a couple of players in, in, in the team this season which have been you know, bright sparks, I guess. And one of them is called Conor McElhaney, who came through Everton's youth policy. But... His career has faltered a little bit after being at places like Oxford and more latterly Fleetwood. Yeah, I remember. He's obviously he's a good, he's a he's a good player, technically a good player. And that's the sort of thing about these players. Like the players like Callum Whelan, who, who obviously came from you, McCallum, who we got on loan from Leeds, um, Balfour Jackson, who came from Man United. They've got a good pedigree, so they're quite sort of uh, technically gifted, but they just sort of lack a bit of nous because playing in these under twenty three Premier League things just doesn't give them any life experience and they're just sort of a little bit sheltered and, and they get lost in men's football, I think. Um, but anyway, Conor McElhaney has, has been a bright spark and we've also had a, uh, a player come from abroad, which is uh, not an uncommon thing for us, um, but this, this particular player has got some abilities called Dylan Bahambula and uh, he's been uh, quite exciting to watch in fits and starts I guess is probably the best way to describe it He scored a penalty against Bournemouth reserves in the FA Cup very good penalty <laughs> He did that's right he did yeah. and that game he's also, he's also scored a couple of absolute worldies against Tranmere and Carlisle recently which have been made I think one goal of the month in, in League 2 Yeah but he's using Oldham as a transit club He wants to. does he want to play in the top level in France or in England. I, I, I doubt he's good enough to make that level. Um, he, he's, he's 25, I think. Um, so he's, he, he, I think he's journeyed around Europe. So he's played outside of France already, and maybe I can't think countries. I think he's. Spent, I'm sure he spent some time in Bulgaria or somewhere like that. I think yeah. it's quite a quite a bizarre one. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I think doing a bit of reading on, he's got a relation also called Bahambula, who Man United were trying to sign at one stage. So he seems to come from quite a good stock, but. Um, I doubt he'll make a top level, but he's got some ability. He's got some real uh, ability on the ball. You could see him certainly being better than League Two in English standards. Certainly League One, maybe a push Championship, but even then he would have to uh, learn to not give the ball away so often. So uh, yeah. with, with with these skills comes an inability sometimes to make a good decision. And you see that a lot in the lower leagues. I haven't been to as many. League One, League Two games, as I ought to have done. I've been to Barnet. I've been to have, and I've also went to Gig Lane about four years ago because Berry were playing that weekend. But there must be a surfer of tricky wingers and good, skillful number eights who just either have a like Jose Baxter, perhaps, just get caught up in something that means their career is brought down low. So of opposition teams or of Oldham, 
Which players are like that? The ones that you can tell are just kind of one quality away from greatness. That's a very jo- Jose Bax is a great example. Um, he, oh, he was at Oldham. He, he, he was at Oldham, yeah, yeah. Oldham, Sheffield United. Yeah. Uh, uh, he he, sh- he should have played easily Championship. Could easily have the had the ability to be a Premier League player, but just lost his way. We've had we've had. A, a, I mean, I can obviously know more about my own club than any others. We've had a, loads of players all the time, often from Everton, funnily enough, because we've had link. We've, we've had people who links to Everton. We've had uh, George Green's another player in recent years. We had from Everton who could have made it but had problems. And then going back a bit, as a chap called Billy Kenny, uh, he, he was in the in the national newspapers recently. So again, these are players that have all blown it, haven't they? Because they've got they've got ability, but just the focus is not really on on the right things. Not many spring to mind, to I think the thing with League, what, what I've noticed from League Two is that there doesn't seem to be that many players. I mean, Baham Bowler is someone that is box office, and I think he's caught, he's caught, he's got a lot of attention because of the way that he plays the game. But I, I don't think there's, I don't think we've made the come up against that many players, have we? That have got that. I can think of one in League One who stood out was Bradley Dack when he played yeah. for Gillingham. in League One? He, he was quite clearly a cut above anything in that division, and but he obviously is in the Championship now, so I guess he's achieved. Something beyond that. Oh, he's had a couple yeah. of horrible injuries, Bradley Dak. But I hope yeah. he's. I hope he gets better soon, Blackburn. And that link between Everton and Oldham, we will return to in the second half. But um, in a kind of Judean people's front, people's front of Judea, there is. I hope you know where I'm going with this. There's pushtheboundary.co.uk, and you can find information and some really fun videos. Um, would a boycott help, like it did with Blackpool to an extent, Steve? When we set up in, in October, we did uh, 2019. Yeah. We did a, a boycott in the December. Uh, we did a sorry, we did a protest in the December of that year, um, which was well received as, as protests go. It was everyone behaved themselves and it was peaceful, and, and I think it got the point across. Um, we did. We then did a boycott, or we attempted a boycott just after that. I think boycotts are difficult things to manage because people get very, very emotive about asking people not to give money to their football club. So I think it's, you've really, really got to do that at the right time where everybody's going to be on board with it. Whilst we did it and it, and, it, and we got, it got a good response and it got some publicity, which a lot of these things are about. Obviously, over the last 12 months, it's been very, very difficult to do anything like that. You know, you can, you can boycott, I follow, um, but that's incredibly difficult because of the way that the, the money is split out. You know the way that fans are feeling now; they really are at the end of the tether with it. With it all, you know, it's it's been three years of the same old, same old, and um, I do think that it probably would be much better received if we were to do something like that once once we're allowed in, then yeah. something that's going to make a statement. But there is, uh, from what I've researched, Oldham. Um, we're, we're in administration, and Oldham Athletic two thousand and four was formed, and as part of that, the trust came into existence. Now, the trust is chaired by Jason Flynn, who is an MD of J.P. Morgan Chase. Um, they've got a big board. They hold shares in the club. Do they still hold shares? Yeah, they've got 3%. Yeah. Yeah. What are they doing with that 3%? How are they holding the 97% shareholder to account? Uh, they don't do a great deal with it, and they don't hold the 97% shareholder to account at all, really. Uh, that is part of our challenge. In their defence... It's very difficult for a 3% shareholder to hold a 97% shareholder to too much of an account. <laughs> but, I mean, yeah, they were formed um, out of some of the ashes of, of, yeah, like you say, Oldham Athletic 2004 Limited. And, and 
their, their job is, is to essentially ensure that that doesn't happen again to the football club. And we've sort of skirted around this. You know, what, what, what we've tried to do as a group is raise the red flags to people, you know, turnover of managers and falling out with players and, and wages not getting paid and no real progress on the pitch, uh, poor treatment of fans, etc., etc. could go on. And I think what you want is that the trust would take notice of what's going on and take that into the boardroom. And I think one frustration that we've certainly had is that, is that that doesn't really seem to be to be happening. Whether that's a result of wanting to sort of garner some kind of good relationship with the club and not lose that shareholding, uh, I don't know. But either way, it's not it's not happened. And I think when you live when you live in an area of the world where you've had Macclesfield go under, you've had the issues at Bolton, you've had Berry go under as well. You know, you you can never assume that your club won't be next because they probably all said that as well. Why did Paul Scholes invest in Salford City and not Oldham Athletic? It's a good, it's a good question, actually. And I have often asked myself the same question about the Neville brothers and Berry. Because I don't know whether you know, but one of the stands at Berry yeah. is called the Neville, the Neville, Neville stand. stand. It's the name of their dad. Yeah, and I always find it curious that they didn't try and save you know, a, a club possibly closer related to their family than even Skulls had had. It's, I don't know is the answer. I suspect because the first investment into Salford City, the what was then the non-league team, was a very small sum of money. And to have invested in either Berry or Oldham at the time would have cost them quite an amount more. Oh, of course. Yes, because Salford were just lowered down in the pyramid. And I do... Um, encourage people to go to the Twitter account, which is PTB underscore OAFC. It's kind of like uh, the public face of Oldham Athletic. It's almost you're like Cassandra. You, you're predicting the worst. I mean, we, yeah, I mean, we. I think we've we've tried to highlight the plight that the club is going through over the last eighteen months or so. Because at the end of the day, we 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 were for unhappy fans. Everything that was going on, so. We felt like we could sit there and do nothing, or we could try and do something about it, and 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 we did the latter, and, and when we're happy, we did. You know, we've it's been a long old journey. You know, there's been some rough rough days, weeks, um, but I feel I feel like we've we've made inroads, and, and we've made people sit up and take notice, um, and you know, and if people like yourself find us on social media and, and, and want to come and speak to us, then then you know we're more than happy with that, to be honest, because it shows that you must be doing something, right? No, certainly. And um, I know David Conn is at The Guardian, and he is kind of the patron saint of uh, lower league clubs, having researched the failings of all the ownerships. But I think once you get it right off the pitch, you'll get it right on the pitch. And I really wish Oldham Athletic, who will survive to fight in the Football League another day, God knows what it will look like in August... But I hope when Boundary Park reopens, are you planning to be there with a banner or are you going to do what Birmingham did the other night at Watford and just fly a plane over? Yeah, I heard about that, actually, yeah. Uh, someone, someone actually mentioned that to us. It's hard to say. I mean, a lot can happen between now and then. I would say at the moment, we have to be on our guard. We have to be thinking about what's going to happen next um, because we, we one thing's for certain and that's that we can't carry on as we are. Something drastic definitely needs to happen. No question about that. And the other place to go for news about Oldham Athletic is the quite brilliant Boundary Park Alert System podcast. 
the chat with former striker Craig Davis um, was written up and I read that the owner is, and this is his opinion, it's just his opinion, a car crash of an owner creating a poisonous environment. And it is that environment that um, toxins for which and panacea for which is trying to be provided by Push the Boundary uh, by Steve Shipman and crew. How many of you are there involved in it? Uh, there are four of us, four hardy souls. Well, uh, there's myself, there's uh, Adam, there's Dan, and there's Will. Add seven more, and you can have an unofficial Oldham Athletic South Northern County League team. <laughs> it may come to that. 